in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The Kansas City Chiefs beat the Chargers 30-27 to on Sunday night football. Uh, both Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes led go-ahead touchdown drives in the final five minutes of that game. But Mahomes found Travis Kelsey for Kelsey's third touchdown of the game in the final minute to uh, score the game-winning touchdown. Um, all right, first off, Adam, are the Chargers the worst good team to be a fan of. Like, obviously there are other like terrible, like you don't want to be a Houston Texans fan. You don't want to be a Jags fan. You don't want to be like a, a Browns fan. Like there are other teams that are just bad and have been bad for a while that are worse than the chargers. But as far as like a team that you actually think could win, are they the worst one to be a fan of? Because somehow they fail every single year. But the problem is for, the Chargers, they're hurt every single year, right? And then you get your hopes up, they're hurt. You get your hopes up, they lose a game like this. I think they're probably not the worst good team to be a fan of because I think the hopes have essentially been beaten down now, right? <laughs> you have to consistently have hope in order for that to be the case. I actually think it might be the Broncos. Well, yeah. at this moment, given the Russell Wilson contract, Yes, it is the Broncos and the fact that Nathaniel Hackett's still hanging out there. Do you remember when this division was supposed to be good? Best in football. <laughs> hey, the Chiefs have a three-game lead. The Chiefs are good. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes had a throw to a random tight end that no one knew of that the tight end did not have to move his, like, stop his stride. The ball appeared, like, teleportation style. Okay, hold on. Jared, the Chiefs fan, can you tell me which player it was that caught that? Uh, Gray? No, that was Jody Fortson that caught that one down I the I knew it was one, one of our 25 big tight ends that aren't <laughs> Travis Kelsey. Yeah, those two dudes are basically the same. <laughs> They're interchangeable. The number two receiver last night after Kelsey was somebody named Justin Watson. I don't believe that's a real person. Especially considering all I saw was Sky Moore play really good. Yeah, Sky, he, he got beat by Justin Watson by four yards last night. Not very good. Um, so, yeah, this division is already over. Kansas City has a three-game lead over the Chargers, and they have the tiebreaker. Um, yeah, the division was supposed to be good. Two of the teams are completely incompetent, and the other one is the Chargers, which says a lot about the Raiders and, and Broncos when you are not as even as competent as the Chargers. They superimposed a picture of... Justin Herbert's face reacting to the Kelsey touchdown with the old gif of Philip Rivers reacting to a Travis Kelsey touchdown. And it's just delightful. Happy to move on to the, to the next question here, Aaron. The Patriots beat the Jets 10 to 3. Patriots had an 84 yard punt return from Marcus Jones with five seconds left to win the game. Um, the funny part of this is that one of these teams is absolutely going to end up in the playoffs, aren't they? Oh, no, no, no. You don't no. think the so? Funny part, it's not that. That's not it. That's not the funny part. The funny part was the Zach Wilson ah. interview after the game. Well, right? unless you're a Jets fan, then it's just depressing. 
<laughs> oh, I don't know. I thought that was I thought that was the so, absolute best when Zach Wilson was asked if he felt bad, you know, like with the defense fighting as hard as they did and the fact that the Jets can anything done on offense and he just said no. Did did the offense let the defense down? No. And no. nothing else after that. Just a no. Which and by the way, it's a stark contrast to uh Robert Sala, his head coach, saying the offense was dog bleep. Uh, Garrett Wilson, his rookie wide receiver, saying this bleep is sorry. We're out here looking sorry, and we know that we're not sorry. That's why it really hurts. We know we're better than that. That's why it hurts. Like everybody else on the Jets, fully aware, the offense just completely let them down, except the quarterback that was 9 of 22 for 77 yards. I mean, it's just amazing. And I will say this game is 3-3. We have seen that neither team can even sniff the end zone. Let's just say, hypothetically, you're holding Jets plus three and a half. (laughs) That's hard punt return to watch. (laughs) You actually, you were in great shape if he had just gotten tackled at like the 20. Absolutely. Go ahead, kick a field goal or send it to overtime where no one is going to score a touchdown. (laughs) Yeah, here's the best part. Up until yesterday in the NFL... In 2022, there had been one kick return combined, kickoff and punt. There had been one kick return for a touchdown. I lost bets on the two. Oh, Cordero had it had you too. Oh, oh. it's a tough day. Cordero, I had the under in uh, in that game. Yeah, it's a tough one for you. Next question. All right, uh, I'm going to try to run through this scenario as quickly as I can. After the Sixers beat the Bucks on Friday. Giannis Antetokounmpo went out to shoot free throws after the game. He had a tough game. Um, He got a few shots up, and then Montrez Harrell of the Sixers came over, and after one of Giannis' free throws, grabbed the rebound and just walked to the corner on the baseline and refused to give Giannis the ball back. Uh, There was also a Sixers assistant coach that was standing between Montrez Harrell and Giannis. After a minute or so, the assistant coach and Harold went down to the other end of the floor and Harold started a shooting drill with two basketballs. Only him was shooting and he had two basketballs. Uh, Giannis then went to the locker room, went somewhere off court uh, and returned with a new basketball. But when he got back to the rim, he wanted to shoot on an arena worker had put a ladder up in front of the hoop. Giannis pulled it away and then the worker moved it back in front of the rim. So then Giannis sort of pushed through it down and it fell to the ground. Um, This is like what I imagine happens when you have to be a teacher at recess for like seven-year-olds or seventh graders. Like what the hell are Montrez Harrell and Giannis doing after this game? I so wish there was not some random camera running in the arena because otherwise with no video, this is not a story at all. Now, um, what I really wanted out of this was Montrez Harrell and Giannis throwing down, really throwing down, <laughs> because Giannis, of course, is seven feet tall and ripped, and Montrez Harrell is just one of those five dudes in the NBA you do not mess with. That's what we missed <laughs> out on in this whole thing. Well, we almost got um, Giannis's brother, uh, Thanasis, who's also on the Bucks. He came out on the court. I don't know how long after, but some point after this, and he was trying to talk to Montrez Harrell and Harrell kind of walked away and then was yelling like, you don't want to fight me. I'll beat you up and all that stuff. Like we almost got 
Thanasis fighting Montrez Harrell after this game happened. So we were a little close there. Let, let me ask you this, Adam. Which uh, which family would you least want to have coming for you? The Antetokounmpo's or Nikola Jokic and his Serbian brothers? Oh, that's easy. That's the Jokic family. You don't want the you don't want that smoke because they've got that sort of quiet, dead look in their eyes. Like whatever you're going to throw at us, we've seen it before. And we will just laugh it off when you burn a cigarette on our chest. Like we are ready to go at all times. And by the way, last on that list is the car family circus. <laughs> Great question. We should have to break on that. All right, let's get to some college football. Tennessee got blown out by South Carolina, 63 to 38. Uh, Hendon Hooker, the quarterback for Tennessee, Tore his ACL in the fourth quarter of that game, so his season is over, and Tennessee now has two losses. Uh, They were in a really good spot. Had they won out, uh, it was South Carolina and Kentucky, or excuse me, Vanderbilt, that they had to beat to end the season. They would have been in a pretty good spot to go to the college football playoff if they had won out, given that there were going to potentially be some other teams losing to have them bump into the top four, but losing to South Carolina... And now their season is basically done. But we had two teams almost lose that would have helped out a Tennessee win there. Win on last second field goals. TCU beat Baylor on a last second field goal. Michigan beat Illinois on a field goal in the final minute of that game. Uh, The fun part for TCU. Third and seven. 20 seconds left with no timeouts down by two. And TCU ran the ball which meant they had to run their field goal unit onto the field with the clock running and snap the ball and kick the field goal. They got the ball snapped with four seconds left. Kicker drilled it, and TCU won that game. But TCU almost missed out on the college football playoff, or at least a shot at it here with their last two games of the season because their coach, Sonny Dykes, didn't throw the ball on third and seven with no timeouts left. But, all right, I'll play devil's advocate. Do you think that... Running that exact scenario means that they had practiced that exact scenario. There was a story that says they do every Thursday. They practice their field goal unit running onto the field with the clock running down, getting the snap off and kicking it. So they, this is something they have practiced before, according to their coaches. Okay. All right. So I can at least live with that. Uh, The whole thing about Michigan with Illinois... Are we really going to take the Big Ten seriously? Do we have to treat that as a Power Five football conference this year? I don't want to. Isn't it better? At least we're going to get rid of one of the teams this week. You don't think Ohio State's good? I think they're good. I don't think they're good enough to win the whole thing. Okay, hold on. Genuine question to that. How many teams are good enough to win the whole thing, and is it just Georgia? Yes. Okay. It's one. Like, like, that's really really it. And, look, I think the, the single best thing that could happen to the Big Ten this week is Ohio state needs to blow the doors off Michigan, right? Like they need to show that there is one truly elite team in that conference because otherwise it is that that conference is just endless cornfields with nothing neon anywhere near it. (laughs) So we almost had Michigan and TCU lose, which could have created um, quite a bit of chaos for the college football playoff committee, because that's two teams that are currently in the top four Uh, but they both made their field goals to end it there. Uh, Right now, 
Give me a prediction for who you think the four teams are once we actually get to the college football playoff. Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, and Alabama. Alabama. Alabama's done. They're I, they're actually dead, Adam. I can tell you they're actually dead. How how can you fully report this to me? How they're can dead. you confidently say that? They are no actually one, dead. They're never dead. Thank they're you, Adam. Actually Two dead. losses are not enough to kill anyone. Alabama is actually dead. I feel 100% confident saying that on November 21st, that Alabama is actually dead with two losses. That a team that has two top 10 losses by a combined four points is dead. They're dead. Alabama's when they're not Alabama is not Alabama. I'd be I would be stunned if Alabama got in. They are actually dead. It's not happening. If you say so. No, TC look, TCU should be in um as as the third of those. Who's who's the fourth? I have absolutely no idea because honestly, I think there's such a drop off from the top two or three teams to whatever else is left. And there's, you know, there's such a drop off, obviously, from one to anybody else. Uh, uh, we'll see. The Mets have spoken with Justin Verlander. The American League Cy Young winner is a free agent. Uh, could be looking to get a three-year deal that would pay him more than $40 million a year. Uh, the Mets, who could be losing Jacob deGrom in free agency, have apparently spoken to Verlander. Um uh, four teams I've seen mentioned interested in Verlander. The Astros bringing him back. The Mets, the Dodgers, who uh, have rotation questions, and the Yankees, who talked to Justin Verlander last year before he ended up re-signing with the Astros. Uh, which of those teams do you think actually lands Verlander? I started saying long before the end of the Astros-Yankees series that the Yankees' number one priority this offseason is not the tight end who plays right fielder. It is Justin Verlander. It is 100% Verlander, and I think they need to give him at least three years at whatever money he feels like having because it would hurt the Astros at the same time. Now, that being said, if Steve Cohen and his endless pockets are going to get involved in this thing, I wonder if it's actually the Mets. So from the Astros' perspective, if Verlander gets offered the three-year deal of $40 million or more a year, he will not be an Astro. But if no other team is willing to do that, if it's three years at $35 million, or even if everybody's just going to hold off and do a two-year deal on him, I think he's back with the Astros. But I do think the Mets and potentially the Yankees and technically the Dodgers could all just simply give him a ridiculous deal that the Astros don't want to give. The key here for the Astros is the Astros owner, who is now their general manager, like Jerry Jones, uh, absolutely loves Justin Verlander. It's like his favorite human being on earth is Justin Verlander. Uh, he surprisingly has said that he's got some sort of limits. We'll see if he actually exercises that. But until a team offers him like four and one thirty or something like that, or excuse me, three and one thirty, uh, I think he'll still be an Astro next season. That'd be my guess. Coming up next, the Golden Knights. Eh, they lost again. At least it was an overtime to the Oilers. Overtime. Oilers tag up. Drysaddle works. Trangelo closes in. Scores. Connor McDavid wins it in overtime. He goes upstairs by the glove of Aiden Hill. Looked like he'd go downstairs and flipped it by inside the right post. McDavid with his second point of the day. His 16th goal of the season. And the Oilers captain delivers Edmonton a 4-3 overtime victory against the Golden Knights. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff featuring Adam Candy. Adam, just so you're aware, Netherlands and Senegal are still tied scoreless after 20 minutes, but Frankie de Jong probably should have scored about two minutes ago for the Netherlands, but he either didn't or couldn't 
actually get a shot away on a uh, two-on-one break. So this is, by the way, very important because if the United States gets out of their group, they'll probably play the winner of this game in the round of 16. Uh, so there's your World Cup update, Adam. I'll keep them coming for you because this who, game will be who, over. Who right would we, wait a minute, Tyler. Yeah. Who do we want to play between oh. Netherlands and Senegal? Oh, Senegal, 100%. Their best player, Sadio Mane, got hurt before the World Cup started. So, it, But very unlikely that Senegal actually wins their group. Netherlands is almost certainly going to win it. And if we finish second, we get the winner of this group. But yes, we want Senegal winning would be uh, probably a good thing for the U.S. if you're looking very far into the future. Unless, of course, we beat England and we win our group, then that'd be bad because then we'd get the worst team. So, yeah, cheer for Senegal at the moment. Uh, that's that's what I'm doing anyways. Uh, so, the Golden Knights, uh, they got a point but lost in overtime to the Oilers on Saturday. Connor McDavid scored the game winner in overtime. But here's, I'm, I have, I got to express some disappointment here. Uh, Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel were the first and second picks of the 2015 draft. Jesse Granger of the athletic wrote a story about, Hey, we might actually be getting a real look at like this, uh, sort of fake rivalry between the top two overall picks from their draft class. AT&T Sportsnet talked it up. And then we got to the game and McDavid and Eichel only played two and a half minutes against each other in that game. And I think we can blame Oilers head coach Jay Woodcroft because the Oilers had last change and they could find whatever matchup they wanted with last change for McDavid uh, because they primarily played against the misfit line and then got against the third line, the second most in that game. But when McDavid and Eichel were on the ice together, Golden Knights had a 4-1 Corsi advantage and a 3-1 scoring chance advantage, though no goals were scored. But where I'm actually the most upset is this game goes to overtime, right? It's November. It's an overtime game. You've already got at least one point locked up. You know Connor McDavid's going to be on the ice for Edmonton to start. Bruce Cassidy didn't give us Jack Eichel in overtime against Connor McDavid. He started Carlson and Smith, and then they changed, and Stone and Stevenson came on. By the way, McDavid never came off the ice. And then McDavid scored his game winner. What are we doing here? Can we please get McDavid and Eichel on the ice together in overtime just so it's a little bit more fun for everybody? Did we lose Adam? I'm like you you would like to you would like to have your best individual creator out there on the ice in overtime, correct? Yes. Right? Like it seems to me like that's probably a solid plan no matter who else is on the ice. That's what I'm going for. Give me Eichel versus McDavid. It could have been a lot of fun, but eh, he sat on the bench and watched Connor McDavid skate through the Golden Knights and score. By the way, Connor McDavid's very good at hockey. Um, one other thing, though, that I'm actually curious about uh, going forward. The Golden Knights have gotten off to a great start. It's not been not as great recently uh, with three losses in the last, what, four games, five games. But with the last change in Edmonton, the Oilers were able to get Connor McDavid on the ice against the Golden Knights' third line. Again, it was the misfit line that they matched up with the most against McDavid, and then it was the third line that had the second most ice time against Connor McDavid. Here's what happened in that time. Edmonton had a 100% expected goals rate when McDavid was on the ice against Phil Kessel and the third line. And what that means is, is that the Golden Knights did not muster a single shot attempt when Phil Kessel was on the ice against Connor McDavid when that third line was on the ice against Connor McDavid. Now, they did not give up a goal. Uh, they managed to survive without McDavid scoring against the third line. But I'm very curious to see. The season has been a good start so far for the Golden Knights. Their top two lines have been excellent. They've been very productive. The fourth line, 
has been better than expected, been pretty productive, but also been good at just eating minutes, which is kind of what Bruce Cassidy wants. That third line has been a big question mark for Vegas, and especially in a playoff series. I'm sure we'll see it in the regular season, especially in road games, but in a playoff series, how much is that third line? If as they go in as they're currently constructed, which is probably a foolish thing to say because it's November and there'll be a lot of changes between now and the end of the season, but the way they're currently constructed with a top-heavy two lines and then your third line kind of with nothing out there, how much will that line get targeted? Therefore, how much will Cassidy be able to play it? And is that a realistic um, scenario? Is that a realistic path for the Golden Knights where they just kind of don't play a third line very much in a playoff series? Or is that a reason they end up losing because they're so top-heavy and they don't have that forward depth to survive a bottom six? Dude, they have 29 points in 19 games. I'm not worried at this point about what do they do with the third line against Connor McDavid. We have no idea who's going to be on that third line by the end of the season. We have no idea if Connor McDavid's going to be healthy by the end of the season. There's just all sorts of variables involved here that are secondary to the fact that this team that we thought was going to have to hang around for third or fourth place in the Pacific Division is probably about to run away with the Pacific Division. And so at the moment, I can't get myself too deep into what are the potential flaws that could stop this team from winning the Stanley Cup when we're still coming off an offseason in which it was like, well, we hope they can make the playoffs and make a little bit of noise. Listen, expectations change. Four and one UNLV football was supposed to be going to a bowl game by now. Uh, go take care of your dog. Fine. Uh, for those who don't know, Adam texted me saying his dog is losing it needing to go outside. So go take care of your dog. That's more important than this show. I actually kind of would have preferred Adam just leaving. Just being, just yelling, hey, my dog's got to yeah, need yeah, something. I, go take care well, of it. I, listen, I already yelled at the dog what was on <laughs> mute. That's why you lost me for half a second there. <laughs> just, yeah, just yell, hey, I got to take care yeah. of the dog and just go. It'll be yeah, great. Adam, you All don't right. need to be a professional with us. No, nah, no, nah, it's fine. Coming up next. Miles Simmons joins the show. Herbert's in trouble again. He will unload it down the middle. It's going to be deflected and intercepted. Intercepted at the 42-yard line. Yes, Nick Bolton. Why not, Nick Bolton? And the Kansas City Chiefs are going to do it again to the Chargers. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff featuring Adam Candy. Joining us now for Pro Football Talk is Miles Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Miles A. Simmons. Um, all right, Miles, I know that there are like the Houston Texans exist and the Browns exist. Like there are bad NFL franchises that you wouldn't want to be a fan of. But as far as like good franchises, fans that would have hope, are the Chargers the worst team to be a fan of? Uh, the, probably the Chargers or the Falcons. You know, a couple of weeks ago, those two teams played, and I was just, just sitting there watching that game like, man, this is the exact same team on a different <laughs> coast in a different conference. Like they, I, I don't understand how they can possibly be both the same team in the way that they are. But, yeah, I mean, the, the crazy thing, too, is that the Chargers have a quarterback that everybody knows has supreme arm talent. Right, you can't make that throw that he made on third and eighteen, Keenan Allen, and then follow that up with the touchdown throw he made to Joshua Palmer without Justin Herbert seeming to have an elite ceiling. But when you get the ball back with thirty-one seconds left in multiple timeouts, 
and all you need to do is get into field goal range, you have to do it. You can't take a sack on the first play for whatever reason, whether that was QB draw or something. I don't know if it's just a crappy play call or if it's just not a good play by Justin Herbert, whichever we may never know. But then, you know, on the next play, you throw an interception and the game is over. Like that's, that's the step that I feel like we all thought that Justin Herbert was going to take this year, and he just he hasn't made it yet. Uh, last year, they got uh, routed by the Texans and then just needed a tie against the Raiders to get into the playoffs, and they couldn't do, uh, couldn't do that, miss the playoffs. So what hilarious way will the Chargers miss the playoffs this year? Oh, I mean, right now they're already out of the playoff picture. It's, it's crazy. They're one of these teams that's in the hunt now at, at five and five. Now, I don't know what it's going to be, but if things continue as they're going, it, I mean, I don't know how Brandon Staley is going to be the head coach of that team next year. I mean, especially with somebody who's an offensive mind like Sean Payton just kind of out there. Right? I mean, who wouldn't want to coach Justin Herbert? Oh, we don't have access. Okay, entirely fair. Entirely no, entirely fair when it comes to to Brandon Staley. Um, When it comes to the New York Jets and New England Patriots setting back football a hundred years yesterday, um, (laughs) what do you make of all of the Zach Wilson situation afterward, and what he said about the defense, and what is potentially uh, a boiling locker room right now? I, I think it's a benchable offense, if that makes sense. You cannot go out there and say what Zach Wilson said in a press conference. And it's so, so, so easy to say the right things as a quarterback. I mean, it is something that these dudes are trained to do from the time that they become a starting quarterback in like middle school, you go out, you take responsibility, you put the blame on your shoulders, you, you put credit everywhere else. I mean, you scored three freaking points. All you need to say is, you know what? I have to put, I have to be better. I have to be so much better. You know, the defense played their butts off today and they allowed three points. And because we didn't score because I didn't do well enough, that's not good enough. I have to do better for those guys. It's, how hard is that? And the fact that Zach Wilson is asked not really even about himself in the play, right? It was, uh, do you feel like the offense let the defense down today? And he didn't say, he didn't say anything but no, no. What do you mean? What do you mean? You've got the wide receiver, Garrett Wilson, saying more things that a quarterback should be saying in the locker room, how it's not going to stand, how people need to be on the details. I mean, you saw this a few weeks ago even from Kenny Pickett in, in Pittsburgh when he was talking after the game. Is people's got to be on their P's and Q's. I've got to be better. We all have to be better. It's so easy to get up there and say things like that. And when you're Zach Wilson and you don't do that, and it's very clear that you are a big part of the problem and I don't know how you can continue to play that guy if you're Robert Sala, especially if you called the offense dog poo, and he didn't say poo. <laughs> All right. Um, is Nathaniel Hackett the lamest duck coach you've ever seen in a season? It gotta be. I mean, yeah. It, it's, it, it's so weird that this has devolved into what this is. And as bad as Nathaniel Hackett has been, and he has been bad, man. I mean, he's given up play calling duty to the, the quarterback's coach, which, like, 
okay, we're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic a little bit. But also, when you have a veteran quarterback who's been in the league as long as Russell Wilson, and you have a third and seven situation, or third and ten, and the other team has no timeouts and we're under two minutes, what are you doing throwing the ball out of bounds? Take the sack. That's not Nathaniel Hackett's fault. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what kind of things you're supposed to drill into the starting quarterback. But, yeah, you want to make a pass there because if you get it, you win the game. But if you don't get it, you take the sack. You slide. You do what Taylor Heineke did on Monday night. We all just saw it. I just I can't understand how this, this marriage has just turned into something that was made in hell. Like, it's as bad as Nathaniel Hackett's been, Russell Wilson might be worse. That tells you a lot about where the Broncos are. Okay, so so let me ask it to you this way. I know Russell Wilson's contract prevents this from being a genuine decision that the Broncos have to make, but if his contract didn't exist the way it did, if they legitimately could get out of Hackett or Wilson at the end of the year and you had to choose one, which one would you actually choose? To get rid of or to keep? To get rid of. Uh, hack it because it's easier to get rid of a coach than it is. To, and you think that somebody might be able to get the better out of Russell Wilson or at least something more, but it's not like Russell Wilson has been playing all that great over the last two years. Anyway, I mean, if you really look at what the Seahawks have done, it's not like Russell Wilson was playing at that high of a level. So now it's just, oh, because Russell Wilson got traded and everybody was excited and they got all these primetime games and everybody's thinking, oh, my gosh, Russell Wilson's going to go cook. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. He's going to be great. It turns out that, no, he just stinks. And and whatever regression there is, I don't know how you really get that back. Because, like I said, it's not like Nathaniel Hackett should need to be in Russell Wilson's ear saying, hey, if the play's not there, just take a sack. He's been in this league for 10-plus years. He's seen pretty much everything there is to see. If you're a veteran quarterback, you have to make that play. So, I mean, <laughs> if the Broncos would probably be better off if they could get rid of both of those guys, but you cannot get rid of Russell Wilson with that contract. So if they're going to have to figure out some kind of coach that can maybe get some more juice out of Russell Wilson next year, but it is an ugly situation. How many chains, Miles, was Kirk Cousins wearing after the game yesterday? <laughs> I don't know, but they all got snatched. It was like a key to leave was out there just like ripping that thing down. I mean, oh my goodness, what a butt kicking. 40 to 3? Talk about a humbling experience, man. And it's, it's one of those deals where you just don't expect to see that after Minnesota goes into Buffalo to get an emotional win, and I understand that there can be letdowns, but this is maybe something that Kevin O'Connell needed to learn as a first-year head coach. It's the first time he's going through something like this. You have to be able to make sure that everybody puts all that good stuff behind you immediately. And, you know, you can't go into the week and read your press clippings and start believing all the hype that everybody's saying about you. It's a week-to-week league, and you have to be up to the same standard every single week. And clearly Minnesota just was not ready. The weird thing about Minnesota right now, they are 8-2, and two, and they have a negative point differential. That's weird. You don't usually see that for teams that are six games above 500. Uh, have you flipped to Dallas being the best team in the NFC, or you still think it's the Eagles? No, I, 
I, I think it's the Eagles. I mean, I think part of the reason why they struggled with the Colts yesterday was because Nick Sirianni was very emotional about what had happened to Frank Reich. And I don't know if you guys saw, read, heard, whatever, uh, what Sirianni was saying after the game, but it was very clear from his demeanor in that press conference that he was not happy with the way that Frank Reich was treated by the Colts organization. And Sirianni, of course, came from there. He worked under Frank Reich, and he talked about how Frank Reich is one of his, the biggest mentors of his life. He mentioned two other people and Frank Reich. And so I think sometimes when you get emotional like that, and instead of kind of taking things out of it, you can make some maybe mistakes. You know, whether it comes to strategy during the week, you're not always focused quite on, on the right things. So I don't know if that's exactly what happened or not. I mean, Sirianni doesn't call the offensive plays there, um, but there were a lot of things going on, and so it's good that the Eagles were able to get out a win. Sometimes you've got to survive in advance, and, and they did that. He is Miles Simmons uh, with us from Pro Football Talk. Adam, go ahead. Okay, well, I'll just ask one more question because it's been sort of our question of the day. Okay. Um, what should Josh McDaniels want out of the rest of this season from the Raiders? What should what should an expectation of success look like for him? Can can they play the Broncos or the Texans every week? Can that be <laughs> <laughs> Hawk Raj. Uh, I don't do those things. Um I, I think it, it's just building off of what you've done, I guess, against those couple of teams, right? And, and I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. I don't have much faith that they will be able to do that, um, just based on what we've seen. But, you know, they, they, when you have a veteran quarterback in Derek Carr, you have a veteran receiver in uh, Devontae Adams, the, the offense should look better. Things just need to look more cohesive. And you can't keep getting leads and blowing them. You can't go out there and, and lose to opponents that should be inferior to you. I, I thought that after they beat the Texans, you know, I was like, yeah, it's one game. You know, the Texans aren't very good, but maybe you're going to get something established. And they go out there and they lay a complete egg to um, the, the, the New Orleans Saints. You know, how do you get shut out? Like, that's not something that should happen when you have the weapons that you do. So, you know, just because you won this week, don't let there be a letdown completely next week. And they're playing the Seattle Seahawks, right? Don't let there be a letdown against them like that. I don't know if they're going to beat the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks are pretty talented. But you you got to be more competitive on a week-to-week basis. So I, I don't know, you know, what exactly you need to see out of it. Just some sort of progress where it's just not like, oh, gosh, why, why are we doing this? Well, he is Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk. Again, follow him on Twitter at Miles A. Simmons. Miles, as always, we appreciate it. All right, take care, guys. Have a happy Thanksgiving. So there is Miles Simmons coming up next. We'll stick with the NFL because the Eagles did get that one-point win over the great Jeff Saturday. Man takes the snap and gets away a line drive, end over end kick, drives Jones back to his own 16-yard line. The turnover runs right to the 20, gets up the sideline to the 30, he's to the 40, cuts it back to the 50, he's loose to the 40, at the Jet 30, to the 20, 10, 5, touchdown! Unbelievable! Five seconds to go, and the Jets are going to lose this game on one final special teams play that the Patriots take to the house.
You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler featuring Adam Candy. Ed Graney is flying back from Denver. Adam Candy is in today from Legal Sports Report. Um, Adam, halftime. Adam, the Giants uh, lost. We are at halftime of uh, Senegal and Netherlands. No score. Uh, the Giants lost to the Lions yesterday, so they're now 7-3 and three on the season. I know you have been enjoying the ride. It's more than your expectations were. You're going to tell me the Giants aren't actually as good as their record says they are. But I just want to ask you this as a simple question. Are the Giants still going to make the playoffs this year? I would have told you yes before seeing Washington this week, and now I'm starting to get a little bit concerned that the Giants might end up with the fourth best record in that division (laughs) because, unfortunately for the Giants, the Washington defense looks elite, and the Giants still have to play them in back-to-back games uh, coming up here, at least from the Washington side where Washington has a bye in between its two games against the Giants. And, by the way, the Giants haven't played the Eagles yet this year. So there's a reasonable chance that the NFC East teams could feast up on the Giants. And look, I'm not going to tell you that the Giants are worse than the stats. Anybody can look at the stats and see that they're not a 7-3 and three team empirically. But what you saw yesterday is just on how sharp of a razor's edge they live. Because with Daniel Jones having a couple of turnovers, that was all it took for the Lions to dominate that game. And that final score doesn't show just how much Detroit dominated the New York Giants in that game. So I'm not worried that the Giants will be in the playoff mix, but I am a little bit worried with four games against those teams that I just mentioned and having to play the the Cowboys again this week that it might be a little challenging. On Daniel Jones, last time I asked you this a couple weeks ago, you said, you know, this whole season is where you get to evaluate Daniel Jones under Brian Dable and see what they want to do in the offseason. Has that changed at all? Have you made up your mind on whether or not they should bring back Daniel Jones? Or is it still, hey, let's see how the final seven games of the season play? I don't know that you can make the decision in a vacuum because you just talked about it earlier with Derek Carr, where it's not like there's a great veteran quarterback out there you can bring in. And it's not like the Giants are likely to be picking in a spot to get a quarterback for next year. So I think you look around the league and say, is anyone going to give Daniel Jones a long-term contract? Is anyone going to give him a Russell Wilson kind of deal? No, nobody's giving Daniel Jones that contract. But the Giants are also in a place where if you're truly building what Brian Dable would like to have, which is a Josh Allen-style offense with a Josh Allen-style quarterback, then Daniel Jones isn't that guy. Brian Dable has been smart enough this year to utilize Daniel Jones in the ways that he is most effective, running the football, simple throws, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you saw yesterday what the bad end of that looks like, and this Giants roster and this Giants game plan isn't enough to overcome that. So I think it's one of those situations where you evaluate the entire market at the end of the season and figure out, can we continue to build something around Daniel Jones and continue to win until we end up in a spot where maybe there's a better veteran available? But that's a dangerous game to play, right? Because then you end up being the Raiders. I mean, there is a veteran that will be available. It's Derek Carr. Derek Carr in the New York media market would be the Thanksgiving meal that I would trade everything for. Oh, my God. The average. If he had cried and was the Giants quarterback, what would have the average caller on W? Uh, on uh, I, FAN. I, I, no, you're, you're on the right yeah. track. WFAN like, be. This guy is not qualified <laughs> to lead 
a Subway franchise, let alone the greatest franchise in the history of football. They beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Now we're supposed to have this guy leak? Get out of here. <laughs> uh, all right. In the NFC outside of the 7-3 and three Giants, the Eagles are 9-1. and one. They beat the Colts by a single point. Uh, Raiders still the only team to lose to Jeff Saturday. The Cowboys blasted the Vikings 40-3. to three. Kirk Cousins got sacked seven times and threw for 105 yards. Tony Pollard had more receiving yards than Kirk Cousins had passing yards yesterday. Vikings record is still eight and two, but that fun stat Miles Simmons gave us, they have a negative two point differential despite being eight and two on the season. Uh, What's your ranking of the top three teams in the NFC? (laughs) Here's the problem. Like, there's not a good team in the NFC, like a truly good team. All right, but we have to do this exercise. Uh, right now, the Philadelphia Eagles are still the number one team in the NFC. The Dallas Cowboys are second, and literally nobody is third. Like we can't, we can't. There's, uh, I, I think right now, if you had to just say, who do you think has the best chance of beating either one of those teams? It's the 49ers. Yeah. But the 49ers have not played up to the level that would suggest that you know that they're going to be able to beat one of those two teams. But if you put either one of them against the 49ers on a neutral field, I think you're looking at no more than a three-point spread. Yeah, I think end of the season, we're talking about the 49ers as the third best team in the NFC. They might not get to the same record as the Vikings, but I think that's uh, where we'll be at the end of the season. Right now, I still think it's the Eagles because going into Sunday, and it's probably still going to be true once all the games are played, The Eagles were top five defensively in EPA, pro football focus ranking, DVOA, points allowed, yards per play. Like, their defense has been phenomenal this year. And the funny part is, they kind of suck against the run, but they're so good against the pass, and that's what you want to be good against, that they're great defensively despite not being able to tackle anybody.